0: You're listening to an airwave media podcast.
1: Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. Yeah, oh, I am a scientist. We gotta live on science. Welcome to Unbiased Science, where we bring scientific method to the madness. We're well, your hosts, Dr. Jessica Steyer and Dr. Andrea Love and this week we are going to have a little bit more of an informal conversation about an overarching topic that we've we've discussed quite a bit it gets very controversial and people have questions and that's the topic of alternative medicine. Before we do that, you may have noticed that we were not around last week, and that's because our very own Dr. Love was under the weather. We could talk about that briefly if if you want to, Andrea, but I was just going to say that the week before that, if you missed it, we had a a really great episode, I thought, on ticks tick prevention, you know, how worried should we be about ticks, just a lot of really practical advice from Andrea, who has so much expertise in this area. And this tick season has been wild, um, at least here in New England. So some really good stuff there. Andrea, how are you feeling?
0: (laughs) I'm doing okay. Um, At the time of recording, I am day six into COVID. COVID round two, um, I had COVID... In April 2022, so it's been about a year, a little over a year. I'm feeling pretty okay now. Um, The first, like, Saturday symptoms started to kick in in the afternoon. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, I was a mess. I was semi-conscious for those three days. I actually took the the first two days of the week off, got a bunch of pings of meetings that I was supposed to be on and just like slept right through them, which my body clearly needed. Um, But I'm feeling much better. Um, My cough is almost gone. I don't really have a sore throat anymore. I have a little bit of congestion. I am still testing positive on the rapid tests. So if and when I do need to go out, and interact with people, I will be continuing to wear my mask out to day 11, at least per the CDC isolation recommendations.
1: So happy that you're feeling better, although I'm not so happy because you're not you're still not really taking care of yourself. Before we hit record, she's like, oh yeah, I have a soda here. I haven't had a drink of water all day. And oh, I almost forgot to eat. And oh, I haven't really slept at all in the last, I don't know. (laughs) Well, you know,
0: we'll, we'll talk about that, but I started some new meds recently and they have thrown off my sleeping habits a little bit. Um, and I'm still kind of getting used to them and I did stop them while I was sick, but I started them up again yesterday. And, um, yeah, so I, I only got about three and a half hours of sleep last night, but I did wake up and I got a lot done. So before I drive to Montreal, I'll sleep this weekend.
1: Oh my gosh. All right. Well, let's get into it. And, And I think in order to set the stage for this, Andrea, I think we should say that, you know, we have tackled a lot of, um, examples of, Complementary or alternative medicine, alternative therapies. And we can get into that. And I have some, uh, you know, a broad definition in different categories of, you know, CAM or CAM, um, complementary or alternative medicine, right? But I think what gets me, we get so many questions. It's like, you, you guys, meaning we, Andrea, you and I, are so anti anything alternative. You're so pro anything that's mainstream medicine, you know, um, westernized medicine. That's what you're all about. Why are you so closed minded? Why are you so against alternative medicine? yeah so we wanted to talk about it. We wanted yep. to to discuss our thinking and maybe set set the record straight on a few <laughs> yeah. things.
0: yeah. And I think, you know, we understand it. We'll talk about this, I think during this conversation, you know, why? Some people are drawn to alter. I'm gonna I'm gonna say alternative remedies because maybe we'll lead in with a quote in a second. But you know we'll talk a little bit about the motivation behind that, the appeal behind it. Um, But I think we also want to dispel some misconceptions because there is some cognitive dissonance when you talk to people who are very entrenched in you know the alternative remedy space or who are opposed to conventional medicine.
1: So Andrea, why don't you kick us off with that quote? I think All that'd right. be a great way. So yeah.
0: there's a quote. A very famous quote, it's actually from a, a British-Australian comedian, um, Tim Minchin, if you're not familiar, and he said, you know what they call alternative medicine that's been proven to work medicine. And and ultimately, you know, this this is kind of the crux of it, right? Alternative medicine, broadly speaking from a definition perspective, is a practice that aims to achieve the healing effects of medicine, conventional medicine despite lacking biological plausibility, testability, repeatability, or clinical evidence. Mm-hmm. And so this is why broadly Jess and myself are not in favor of it. Not that we're opposed or we're against anything that isn't conventional medicine, but we're scientists. We are individuals who understand data and how to interpret data and the strength of data. And for most of these things that are touted as being panaceas or magic remedies, there's no evidence. A lot of the evidence relies on personal testimonials or anecdotes. And as we've talked quite a bit about, anecdotes are, are not population level evidence. um, There are a lot of things that can confound what someone's recalling as being beneficial. There is something to be said for the placebo effect as well, which maybe we'll talk about in a little bit. And a lot of these testimonials that are often used as as marketing, they're playing on emotions, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we look at some of these examples, and obviously we've talked about homeopathy, which is one of the most notable examples of having no biological plausibility and has been debunked. And, you know, it, it, some of this is based on pre scientific logic before we knew anything about illness and ailments and disease and infection. There's no data and no rationale and no physiological mechanism as to why some of these would be beneficial. And I
1: think it's tough because for some of these, and, and we'll give examples, they'll, you know, proponents of, of certain certain of these therapies, they say that you can't measure the effect. You know, there's a lot about like energy transfer and stuff like that. And, and we as scientists, we like to quantify things and measure things and have tangible things. And we rely on empirical evidence, as Andrea said. But Andrea, what you said at the, at the beginning just a few minutes ago, I think it's important to set the stage for this. We really do understand why people are drawn to these things and gravitate. Our healthcare system is, and I'm speaking about the US healthcare system now, yeah. although no healthcare system is perfect, it has a lot of, of major issues. And so, you know, a lot of people feel like they're not seen by, and when I say seen, you know, they're, they're not like their MD or their DO is it? listening to them or doesn't have the time to, to spend to really hear them out and 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 you know have really pay attention to all of their symptoms and address underlying issues and because of that because they feel like these patient encounters are rushed or that these mds do's are you know, close-minded. It's not that they're close-minded. It's it's sort of a symptom of a broken healthcare system, right?
0: They are a symptom, or they're a slave to the system that they exist in, and it and it's not right. You know, most physicians, MDs, you know, DOs, um, PAs, you know, nurse practitioners, you know, all your primary care and and you know, patient care healthcare providers you know most of them want to do what's absolutely best by you and if they had the time or they didn't have the pressure to overbook and and be double booked they would want to spend that with you but unfortunately in the US we have a capitalistic healthcare structure and you know the motivation by their employers um, is not to expend time if they want to get paid by insurance companies. Right. Now, when you look at a lot of these alternative practitioners, they don't take insurance. They're taking out-of-pocket fees. And so they could spend all the time in the world with you because they're just making money from, from, you know, this time. Right. And I think that this is really one of the biggest issues is that the healthcare infrastructure in the U.S., has serious problems, but then modern medicine is demonized as a result of it when they're actually two different things. And there's this quote by Ben Goldacre, who's actually a British physician, but he said, problems in medicine do not mean that homeopathic sugar pills work. Just because there are problems with aircraft design, that doesn't mean that magic carpets really fly. And I think that that's something that we really want to keep in mind because Yeah, there are problems with modern medicine throughout history, right? You know, there were unethical experimentation on people. We didn't understand, um, you know, nuance and and differences in gender and and certain medical conditions, or, you know, there was a lot of stereotypes about race and pain thresholds and other sorts of things. And, you know, we're trying to undo this collectively by being more representative in clinical research and all of that sort of thing. Right. But that doesn't mean that, the medicines that we've developed or the medical interventions that we've developed are evil or something to, to avoid as a result.
1: That's my biggest issue with alternative medicine, and we've talked about this. It's, you know, the majority of these things are pretty harmless. I mean, and again, we should probably give, give some specific examples. Some of them are, are harmless. Some others like ch- chiropractic when you're dealing, you know, I mean, we, there was just a case in the news of someone who's now paralyzed because, of, I mean, you know, sometimes they're harmless, sometimes they're not. Like if you're taking a sugar pill, for example, that's probably not going to do anything unless, of course, for going necessary medical attention and treatment, and and I think my bigger issue is you're right. I mean, there's this like false dichotomy that's set up, and it's like we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Like there are problems with our healthcare system, so let's just demonize the entire practice of conventional medicine. And I just as because you know, my husband Ethan isn't a yard doc, I would feel remiss. I, I <laughs> have I mentioned that before? Uh, no, no, no. He is. He's just such a. Could, he is that doctor that you want. And, and his biggest problem, he always says he wants to spend time with his patients. I can't tell you dozens of times he's been reprimanded by administration, you know, when, when they feel like he's spending too much time with patients. It is about the churn. So I just, this is just a message to people. Please don't, you know, vilify physicians and
0: clinicians. And medicine more broadly, yeah. And Ethan in particular, I mean, he's one of those clinicians that, you know, understands his role and he seeks out science when he's not well. I mean, he's just an excellent clinician. And I have a really good friend here. um, He listens to the pod, so I won't name names, Um, but he's, (laughs) he's a, he's a PA and he he's a primary care PA and he's just phenomenal. I mean, he's just one of the best healthcare providers that you'll ever meet. He cares so much about his patients. He does all of the, you know, the underbelly stuff. Like he'll make sure that they're following up with any like, you know, follow blood work and he'll check in on them. And like all the things that like you're not supposed to do because of the, that you're supposed to be turning things over. You're supposed right. to be double booking. Like he goes out of his way in his own time to do that. And and it is to his own detriment. And so if you're listening, you know who you are, you need to practice some self-care. If I had my druthers, we would have universal healthcare, equitable access, affordable for everyone. Unfortunately, I don't pull the strings in the U.S. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's really important to separate, medicine and medical providers from the system that they happen to be existing in. Mm -hmm. You know, we hear a lot about, oh, it's profits, profits, profits. Yes. Hospitals and healthcare centers are trying to make money. Insurance providers trying to make money. Clinicians, they're not getting rich off of, you know, people. They're not getting payouts for like falsifying diagnoses or any of the other misinformation that we've heard, you know, everything is a business. Nobody works for free. It's a extremely debt heavy profession. And, you know, I think broadly the consensus is that most people broadly in the U.S. are underpaid at what they do generally. But, you know, when when we hear a lot that, oh, well, they're, you know, conventional medicine is just trying to make money by keeping you sick and keeping you sick. And and I always wonder, (laughs) because we're talking about we're talking about vaccines, right? You get a vaccine, it's you know a one or a once a year and done, and then you save money on recurrent costs of illness. There are treatments that help manage chronic illness, but these companies, pharmaceuticals, research institutes, they're not causing the chronic illness. They're trying to help people reduce ongoing costs of morbidity and mortality. And the irony is, is that the alternative remedy industry is a billion dollar, billions of dollars, right? Last year, net worth over $30 billion in the U.S. alone as of May 2023. And this is aided by the fact that there are almost no regulations or oversight in the alternative remedy sphere because it's not medicine. It hasn't been proven to be effective. So it's not regulated by the governing bodies that regulate medicine, that regulate pharmacological interventions, that regulate medical devices, that regulate surgeries and procedures. It's, it's people who are selling supplements and books and fake and fake detoxes. And, and yes, some of them are harmless if you're not foregoing treatment, but some of them are very Very potentially harmful. Mm -hmm. And this is particularly prevalent, and and I'm going to let you take it back in a second, but this is really prevalent in um, a lot of the chronic disease spaces, so cancer treatments. A lot of cancer patients, cancer is... If you listened, um, I do a lot of work in cancer, so I feel very passionately about this. But cancer is a catch-all for hundreds of different diseases that are all genetically distinct, and there is no one cure-all, and we're not hiding the hurt cure to cancer, and it is super difficult to treat because it is not a distinct entity. It's your cells that are just not behaving normally, so it's so hard to, to target it. So the options we have for different cancers are limited, and certain cancers Are harder to control and progress more quickly. And what happens is these people and their families who are sick, who are maybe dying, they're desperate and they're vulnerable, and these people prey on them and they sell them these bill of goods and the snake oil. And not only does it make cancer patients less likely to continue with conventional therapies that have data to demonstrate efficacy, like radiation and chemotherapeutics and immunotherapeutics and surgeries, they often stop taking those, stop using those, and they're using these things that are herbal supplements or IV vitamins that have no data to support them. And not only are they reducing their quality of life, but they're they're accelerating the cancer's progression. And it's maddening and saddening all at the same time. And and it's so frustrating kind of being in the the thick of the science and trying to explain the complexity of this, this type of disease when people get on TikTok and are like, pharmaceuticals hiding the cure to cancer, you just need this herbal tincture. And it's, you know, it's not true. <sighs> but, but again, these people are... Right, emotionally vulnerable. I know we're talking about a lot of issues with the healthcare
1: system. Just as a health policy person, I just also have to mention there are other m- major issues contributing, like provider shortages. You know, anytime I try to get an appointment with my PCP, it's like, oh, three months. It's like, well, I'm having an issue now, so an appointment three months from now isn't going to help me. So there, there are lots of issues. But I think exactly as you're saying, there's this idea that even we are like chills as being peripheral to medicine, even though we're not clinicians. We're not practitioners, but, and that the other, this alternative is virtuous. They're I always say they're not accepting hugs. They're not virtuous. Don't let them right. fool you that they're virtuous yes. because they are not. So the other thing I wanted to say, Andrea, is that we sort of, you know, there's this idea that we're like anti anything, um, alternative and, it, and it, we're not outright opposed because Correct. I think we're both acknowledging, like, especially people who are chronically ill and who are in chronic pain and, you know, they're suffering. Maybe in addition to their evidence-based treatment plan, if they want to explore some of these other therapies, especially when it comes to things like, you know, pain relief or, you know, I know there's a lot related to side effects of um, uh, chemotherapy, you know, things like that. It's understandable. We get it. You know, we're not monsters, (laughs) right? Right. But it's, it's when it's a replacement or seen as better than conventional medicine, that's where we get frustrated.
0: And the other thing is, you know, if you are, say you want to do both, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do the conventional medicine, but I also want to try this. Um, you also need to make sure that these alternatives, you know, if it's meditation, cool, that's not going to interfere with anything. Meditation is great. I think everyone should maybe try and do it. I'm not good at it. I can't shut my brain off, but I try and I go to yoga and I try to sit still and all of that. Um, and I do find that helpful, but if it's something like herbal things, supplements that you don't know what they're in them, because again, they're supplements they are not regulated by the FDA. They're not, they don't have to disclose every ingredient. Those can interfere and have very severe, potentially life-threatening interactions with actual medications, That's also a line that I would draw. And also, you know, when you start talking about these um, in the chronic Lyme disease space, which we've talked about at length, so I won't get too much into, but they they tout all of these really dangerous things like urine therapy and removing your dental fillings and and all sorts of things that, first of all, have no biological plausibility even if there were such thing as a chronic bacterial infection from the Lyme bacteria, but those things are dangerous. You know, I remember, uh, entering the world of black salve in uh, years and years ago in the cancer sphere. And it's just, it's horrific. I mean, people are basically using this caustic material to, it's literally eating away at their flesh and they think it's like, Wait, it's like taking, it, uh, don't, don't, no, don't, don't do it. It's called okay. black. Salve. Don't, don't, don't look Google it. I it. don't know. It. Yeah. Okay. Don't do it. I mean, Google it, but, but it's no, but, but basically it's these caustic materials that oh they think gosh. are like pulling the tumor out or taking the tumor out. And it's literally just like eating your tissue. Oh um so anyways, again, there are potential risks. There are some that are more benign. I think one of the other things that we, you know, caution about and this is there are data to support this is that people who tend to, you know, fall prey or fall more in line with some of these alternative remedies that don't have data to support them often are susceptible to more potentially dangerous types of misinformation like foregoing Vaccines that are life-saving and and those sorts of things. So again, it's it's this delicate balance, and with social media and and kind of how the algorithms feed things, um, it, it's a slip, It's a little bit of a slippery slope. And and you know, I think for
1: us, if it was seen as like complementary to maybe you know in, in mm-hmm. conventional medicine, possible. Do you know what I mean? Like you know, like we're saying like in conjunction with like, but but it's when it's this replacement that that's what makes us. That's what drives us wild.
0: Yeah, and I think you know, I I just want to. Again, reiterate—they're making tons of money tons. off of this, and and most of these things are not covered by insurance. There there are a couple that are, and I know Jess, what we're going to talk about that, yes, you know, and 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 why some of those may be covered by insurance. But again, these people are are making profit directly off of selling these things that don't have evidence to support them, and and I think for me, it's not just like the fact that the science isn't there, and like it makes no biological plausibility. It's the fact that these people are taking advantage of people, you know, like we get flack for like trying to save people money by telling them like, you know, eat a salad instead of buying. I mean, supplements are insanely (sighs) expensive. I like went to CVS, um, like a week and a half ago and like, it's bananas. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I, I, I I don't even know how people afford it. Um,
1: No. no. And it's so funny when people say that to us because we're literally just saying, save your money, don't buy supplements, buy, like, you know, a bag of spinach for $2 instead of a $25 bottle of, you know, multivitamins that you're just going to be peeing out. And there's this, again, (laughs) there's so much we could say, but, like, when we talk about how sugar, you know, cancer doesn't eat sugar and grow from sugar and, you know, the vilification of all of these things. And it's like, every now And and then, you and I, Andrea, we might Go through a drive-through, or we have our sugary snacks, yeah. but right. it's because we are also mindful of having a you know a balanced, healthy diet. We're eating other things. We're getting nutrients from other foods, right? Stars. And yeah, <laughs>
0: and we're not we're not telling people to go eat a bag of sugar for lunch. We're saying that these substances by themselves are not harmful, and they're not contra- they're not causing these diseases that. I mean just the amount of like food misinformation out there is just staggering and like linking them to every single ailment on the planet and it's funny because women are definitely more susceptible to these alternative remedies and there's a few reasons behind that of course the wellness industry is targeting women um targeting young mothers targeting women you know of a, of a certain age you know it's all about this reverse your aging, balance your hormones, stop your adrenals from being tired, all of these things which are just like marketing jargon and mean nothing. And but but it is, you know, it's facilitating that, right? Like, you know, yoga, which traditional yoga is a whole entity, a very small proportion of which is the physical practice, but it's been co-opted by white western society into something that it's not and now it's part of the wellness industry and many yoga instructors in the US are anti-vax and anti-GMOs and you know all this. But beyond that there is systemic reasons in medicine why women may seek or be more likely to seek alternatives and a lot of that is just, you know, systemic discrimination in medicine. Even from the beginning research was not conducted with women in mind. Old school you know, Dr. Who's he what's it, you know, wasn't, (laughs) wasn't factoring in human physiology. You know, there's a lot of medical conditions that we have better understanding of now that, that differ between men and women, like even something like the press. Oh, sorry. The presentation. No, no, you you, BB too. Sorry. The presentation (laughs) of a heart attack, right? Women more often present with stomach pain. And for many years were misdiagnosed or not diagnosed while they're having an active heart attack because, you know, they were dismissed. And so, Yes, women more broadly can feel rejected by modern medicine or the modern medical infrastructure, but science is taking steps to alleviate that. And that again goes back to my my quote from Dr. Ben. But the problems in medicine, you know, don't mean that your magic carpet's gonna fly. Right. Is you know, yes, there are issues in medicine, there are issues with discrimination or or not considering other factors into designing trials and understanding um women's bodies but that doesn't mean you want to reject all of medicine right. you know and and I think again it becomes this dichotomy it's oh well you know medicine did me dirty because I had this one bad clinician ex- interaction therefore I'm going to go down the rabbit hole of homeopathy and essential oils and healing crystals. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's predatory. And and unfortunately, yeah. it's really impacting we just did a reel on this, our collective psyche. I mean, I wrap this up with the whole appeal to nature and this obsession oh, with things being all natural, non-toxic. I mean, these are just buzzwords. Everything's greenwash and it's all like big pharma bad, conventional medicine bad. Everything else virtuous, good, natural, like organic, all of these words. And I, th- you and
0: I, we're really getting upset because it's predatory. It's absurd. And it's also very elitist, right? Yes. If you think about who these marketing schemes are targeting, it's, it's affluent people. Mm-hmm. And so then it makes people of lower socioeconomic status feel like they're doing something wrong, even with things like organic food, like, oh, well, you're not buying organic carrots. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're poisoning your children. No, no, eat some carrots. It doesn't matter where they come from. You know, I'll pull one out mm-hmm. of the ground and I'll eat it with some dirt on it if it makes you feel better. Eat frozen vegetables. Mm-hmm. They're just as nutritious canned. if you, if yep. yeah, canned frozen. I mean, why are we pitting people against each other? And it's all because of this predatory marketing, mm-hmm. which specifically or, or, more specifically, targets women, for sure. And and I think, you know, and I want to note this because I have personally experienced the effects of this and it still doesn't make me steer away from modern medicine. So, my first experience with my anal fissure which we talked about on the fiber episode, um the first three surgeons I went to, they were like we're doing this procedure, this is the procedure we've always done, we're slicing into this and this is what we do. And I was like, "Oh, well, you know, I read the literature and I see that there's a higher rate of fecal incontinence in women than in men after the surgery and I don't want to be 32 and poop leaking out, you know?" I mean, we're all friends here, right? And they were like, well, this is this is the procedure we do, take it or leave it. And I got my fourth opinion. And it was a younger surgeon. And let me tell you, three different hospital institutes, all very highly reputable in the Philadelphia metro area. I won't name names. Two of the first consults were men. One was a woman. My fourth consult was a woman, young woman. The other woman was also young, um, recently, you know, board certified and all that. This woman. Took the time, and again, it was still not a very long consult, but she took the time to explain to me that in her experience and with the new methods, that procedure that had the higher risk of fecal incontinence in women, she would not have recommended as first line for women because the female sphincter is shorter. And people didn't know that before. Now that they know that, they're shifting to this less invasive, less potentially, you know, complicating procedure. And if that one fails, then they always have the more invasive one to go back on. So we went that route and I've been clear since. But again, I had to advocate for myself. That doesn't mean I'm going to go say, you know, no thanks colorectal surgeons. I'm going to go do a coffee enema. It means, sometimes it just takes a little bit of time and, and yes, understanding that the healthcare system is imperfect. Um, recently I, within the last month I was diagnosed with ADHD and I probably have had it my whole life. And I've gone through a ton of different psychiatrists and therapists and medications and everything. And I, I was talking with my psychiatrist and I was like, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm taking my antidepressants and I've tried, you know, I don't know, six different antidepressants over my life. And I'm taking my anti-anxiety and I still feel crappy on the weekends. I still feel uh, depleted. I still feel no energy. I don't know how people are getting the energy to go out and, and enjoy things. And I'm just, I'm just exhausted. And he was like, listen, up until recently, we did not appreciate how ADHD presented in girls and women. And while the incidence rates or the prevalence rates Actually, suggest that women, it's about half as often, it's probably under diagnosis because the presentation is much more internal. And so it's this brain fatigue as opposed to the traditional, stereotypical, the boys, the fidgeting, and the this and the that in the classroom. And so there's probably a wave of women who have lived their whole lives with ADHD, not being treated for it because. Medicine hadn't caught up to it. Medicine hadn't understood the differences and the early studies and the early trials were only done in boys. Right. And I'm getting treatment now and I and it's helping. But again, I'm not gonna shun psychiatry because of that. I'm gonna understand the limitations. Well, I was just
1: gonna say exactly that. Like, I'm sure there are people who are listening to this, and they're like, "Well, look, they just shoved a bunch of pills at her throat for depression and anxiety, and like, look, it didn't help." And like, we're not saying that that d- does not help, you know. And Andrea, I'm not gonna right. air your no, 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 you're history, absolutely but, right. You know, you're they, absolutely right. There are still effective. Um, it's you know where we're learning more. Science is evolving, yeah. and you know we still have a ways to, to to go. But that does not discredit the the amazing effectiveness and utility of these medications when used when used properly the yeah. other thing I think we just have to acknowledge flat out is that you have the knowledge and the wherewithal to ha- get for opinions and it my heart does break for people who don't have the means the time the knowledge the skill set to do that so again we are acknowledging that the system is not great and that we get why people are drawn to this
0: well and beyond that, you know, and obviously this is a big can of worms, but science education and science literacy and health literacy, we've talked about that. I think it was like 20-something percent of adults would be considered health literate, and that means being able to navigate these topics themselves in the U.S. So like- we need major investments in education and literacy and and ultimately that's what we're trying to do with the podcast to uh, to right. as as great as ex- as big an extent we can right. um, improve literacy and 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 help people better navigate these really complex topics that that impact them directly
1: and we really are going off on a tangent here but just one more thing about no 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 this is this is great i mean i love this i just i know there's so much we want to say but like you know it, it, we both have anxiety and depression and yes we both take medication for it but again, we're not saying that only take medication. We also, Andrea was talking about meditating, doing yoga, I mean, cognitive behavioral therapy. We're not saying that, you know, pharma and only pharma. You, you, you know, you, we ha- you have to sort of, you, we can't be so black and white about things. And we're not, we're, we're not. <laughs> right,
0: right. And, and even when we talk about, you know, some of these, and, and I know you want to get into yeah, some yeah. of the, I mean, the examples, mm-hmm. but like, for example, we talked about cupping, right? Right cupping in and of itself, as long as you're not doing wet cupping where you're cutting the skin and breaking the skin and bleeding and all that, um, it's not inherently harmful, right? right? But the evidence doesn't suggest that it's more effective than, say, a massage or, you know, that it's more effective than physical therapy or actual, like, strength work, you know, to improve muscle flexibility or mobility or things like that. So again, you know, there's a balance, right? There are some of these alternative remedies that are pretty benign, especially if you're coupling it with evidence-based practices, right. but but then there are some that that maybe you want to, you know, take take a second look at before diving in.
1: And also, like some of these things like cupping, for example, maybe it's working because like I would pay a person to be in a quiet dark room for an hour and feel another human being <laughs> hands on my body like that is relaxing to me you know so it's, it's also when when the people are overstating like the mechanisms or you know inventing mechanisms of action that just aren't accurate all right, let, right. It, let me just give some statistics so let's see here many different areas make up the practice of complementary and alternative medicine cam let's see in the u.s cam is used by about 38 percent of adults and 12 percent of children and there are different buckets of cam so there's the more uh, traditional alternative medicine things like you mentioned acupuncture homeopathy naturopathy chinese or oriental medicine and then i always say this wrong ayurveda i don't probably uh, is that right
0: ayurveda? I think ayurveda i'm probably okay i don't yeah. know
1: then there's body so you, the use of touch and so things like Uh, And and manipulation. So chiropractic and um, certain parts of osteopathic medicine, OMM, massage, body movement therapies, Tai Chi, yoga... Then you get into things like diet and herbs, which we talked about things like dietary supplements, herbal medicine, and then like restrictive diets and certain nutritional advice. And we've talked about these and some of them are really very problematic. Then you go into things like external energy. And this really does not have evidence to support its use things like Reiki, um, or electromagnetic therapy. And I don't know how to pronounce it. Do you see what I'm highlighting? Qigong. Qigong. Yeah, Qigong. Okay, sorry. Um,
0: So the QI is a chi sound.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. And then um, mind. So things like meditation, biofeedback, hypnosis. And again, we even said meditation. I mean, there's tons of of evidence in support of the benefits of of meditation. It's not a replacement for for, for medication, but it's a fantastic thing to do in conjunction with other therapies. And then finally, things that relate to our senses, like visualization, guided imagery, art, dance, and music. I also wanted to mention, I think that there's this idea that it's like there's a a, a line drawn between conventional medicine and alternative medicine. That's not the case. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of clinical trials going on in the U.S. right now to test CAM therapies. So I pulled it up. Even the the National um, Cancer Institute and the National Center for Complementary and Integrative Health, NCCIH, they're either sponsoring or co-sponsoring clinical trials that test CAM treatments and therapies. And again, you know, some study the effects of complementary approaches used in addition to conventional treatments and some compare alternative therapies with conventional treatments. And I pulled just a few examples and then, sorry, I'll turn it back over to you. There's a whole list and we'll link to this on our our show notes. And again, this is just through the uh, National Cancer Institute. There are other branches um, that I'm sure are investigating, um, you know, these types of therapies. The effect of electromyalgia electroacupuncture on nerve pain caused by chemotherapy. So it's a phase three trial comparing the effects of electroacupuncture to sham acupuncture for the treatment of nerve pain caused by chemotherapy-induced peripheral neuropathy. Then there's the effect of yoga on nerve pain caused by chemotherapy. And then uh, just a third example, acupuncture for the prevention of nerve pain in patients with breast cancer undergoing taxane chemotherapy.
0: They're not opposing, it's just they're the Right now, there's no evidence to support the use of many of these. And, right. you know, we often we often hear from people, well, you know, th- there aren't data because the money hasn't been invested into studying these alternatives. And that's not true. No. I mean, there's a huge database of clinical trials. They just haven't demonstrated an impact, a positive impact. And, mm-hmm. you know, as I mentioned, you know, it's a $30 billion industry in the U.S. alone. Billions of dollars have been spent studying alternative medicine or alternative therapeutics with very little to show. You know, no differences. Compared to placebos. We have talked about the the placebo effects. Some people may be more susceptible to that impact and and as a result may report feeling better um, after exploring alternative therapies. And, you know, if there was a situation where data demonstrate support for it, then it would become integrated into conventional medicine intervention. And I'm so glad you said that because there have been a a few
1: instances. So actually, our insurance uh, system or insurance coverage may provide coverage for massages, for example, if massage fits into the criteria of habilitative or habilitation treatment. Same goes for yoga and for other CAM treatments. Um, Acupuncture is sometimes, I didn't even know this, but acupuncture is sometimes integrated into Western medical treatment plans, but again, for the hundredth time, typically in combination with other therapies. And this is because um, we do have some evidence that acupuncture points, you know, there may be some stimulation of the central nervous system and that there may be some benefits for people who are experiencing nausea um, caused by anesthesia or chemotherapy, um, headaches, Aches, menstrual cramps, there's some
0: evidence to support it. And I think it's important, like, we don't know the mechanism by which that evidence Correct. exists. But the reason that insurance, certain insurances will cover it as part of a therapy is because the risk for something like acupuncture is low compared to, you know, the, the, the investment, the cost. Um, whereas, you know, there, there may be other interventions that are have higher risk associated for health and also you know can be more costly and that and those are typically the ones that insurance will, are not going to be willing to cover because there's no data it's risky potential harms Expensive. Right. You
1: know. But it's not like the door is closed. You know, if 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 evidence emerges as these trials, which are being conducted, if they uncover evidence that, you know, in support of the use of, of, of these treatments, then they, you know, they become less and they're integrated. They're, exactly. They be, they become integrated. And so again, I just wanted to and I, I think we're probably wrapping up. And Andrew, I don't know if you saw people sometimes talk about how quickly we speak, and I feel like this episode <laughs> we have so much to say. And so it's probably like you need to play this in slow motion. <laughs> it's not that these things, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm generalizing here because there are certain CAM or alternative therapies that are harmful. Supplements are not regulated. Certain herbal treatments can interfere with other medications. You know, there there are all kinds of stuff that can be problematic. They're not bad necessarily. They're not inherently bad. It's just the idea that they're better simply because they're not mainstream, because they're not integrated into conventional medicine, that automatically the system is out to get us. The system is trying to keep us sick and kill us. And it's just automatically you know, not as good as some more natural alternative treatment.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I think to that point, you know, uh, let's take a look at, you know, life-saving medical interventions over the last several hundreds of years and how life expectancy and quality of life and improved diagnostics and improved detection and improved surveillance of diseases and, and early warning, you know, things. I mean, it's it's really hard to look at kind of the historical lens and say that medicine is out to get us because if you look at the scope of you know where humanity started you know without clean water and dying of cholera and dysentery to you know where we are today where we can do gene therapy and restore someone's vision. I don't want to say it's insulting, but it, it kind no, of it is. is, you it know? Is insulting. And, and a lot of these people kind of get into this mindset, you know, they have this survivor bias and they just look at this, like, this moment in time and they, again, fall prey to very clever marketing who, you know, claiming that we're, we've never been sicker and this, that, and that. And again, yes, there are issues with the U.S. healthcare system and there are huge income Disparities that exacerbate things. But that is not the fault of the medicine or the science. Right. That is an entirely separate issue.
1: The last thing I'll say, and then please take us home, and we probably should have more episodes like this. This was really fun, um, is that people will be like, we've never been sicker. And they just point their finger in you know, the food they're feeding us, the pills that they're giving us. Do you think that's the only thing that's changed over the past, like, 100 or whatever years? Like, there have been a lot of other things that shift the way that we live our lives. I mean, just there are a million things that have changed. And so it's just so frustrating, especially as, you know, like a data scientist who's all about, like, controlling for confounders and realizing that things are multifactorial when people are just so confident to point their finger and point the blame at, Pharma or sugar or whatever it is—it's—it's it's maddening, and there's just no evidence for it. And the, la- the very, very last <laughs> is that I think like people forget human beings. Oh, it's not like it's the healthcare system, it's big <laughs> pharma, it's like the medical establishment. There are human beings, human beings who have suffered illness on their, you know, themselves and their loved ones. Like, it, there's something deeply disturbing about this idea that people would intentionally, like in 2023, with especially with all eyes everywhere, that we that there would be this mass conspiracy to keep people sick. It's like evil. It's dark. It's scary. Yeah.
0: Yeah. When you have an understanding of science, like, none of it makes a lot of sense. And so it gets very frustrating and, and sometimes really disheartening. You know, it's like, why am I spending all of this time trying to help develop immunotherapies for solid cancers when people think that we're hiding the cure for cancer and trying to keep people sick? I mean, it just, Yeah. But but anyway, you know, the point is, is that if alternatives have data to support their use, then they become part of modern medical interventions, and that is literally how science has evolved. You know, we went from not knowing what germs were to being able to identify what pathogens were and linking them to a cause of illness and linking them to symptoms and then identifying treatments and preventatives. I mean, that's that's how science and medicine evolves. It's with accumulating this, this evidence. And if there's no evidence to support something, then it doesn't become... Part of medicine. So, thanks everyone for tuning in. We hope you learned a thing or two. And please remember that the alternative therapy is an industry, it's making billions of dollars. It is not all unicorns and rainbows and glitter and whatever. And we have to stop with this dichotomy of either or. Um, you know, we're always going to support science when the science is there. If you want more Unbiased Science, please check out our Substack subscription. Um, We do occasionally post extended content there. It's $5 a month. But the biggest perk is you get a direct line to Jess and myself. You get access to our private Facebook group and our monthly Q&As. You get to submit questions. You also get to vote and weigh in on future podcast episode topics. So check it out at theunbiasedscipod.substack.com. Please also make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. Even if you're not going to watch on YouTube, just subscribing helps. It is youtube.com at unbiasedscipod. And of course, we will continue to provide updates on all things science and health related on our social media accounts. So be sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn at unbiasedscipod. Catch you next time on the pod, your trusted source for no nonsense, just science. Yeah.
1: Oh, I am a scientist. Scientist, yeah, oh, I am a scientist.